0: I'm not pulling out the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work at home edition. Okay, so using my time at home to do lots of fun interviews. Today, I have Emily Tang from the creative team. Hello, hey. Emily. Um, yep. So one of the things I've been doing in these interviews is I want the audience to get a sense of other aspects of making magic. So we're going to talk about world building with you today, and we're going to use Neon Dynasty as our example. Okay. So let's first explain what 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 do you do for magic? Explain to the audience like what what is your responsibility?
1: Uh I mean the jokey answer is I make up lies um for other people to believe. Uh but um more seriously, uh so the world building team basically the responsibility is make up the flavors and the worlds that we stick on cards um so that, you know, you get this whole complete set and it feels like this one immersive, big immersive world and that ties into the mechanics and sort of expresses it through the art and the world building and flavor text. Um, yeah, just to... Uh,
0: okay, so yeah. one of the things... So, for example, you and I work closely together because when I'm designing a set, we want to make sure the mechanics of the set and the flavor of the set are, are blending well. Um, right. So I, I led Neon Dynasty, the vision design for Neon Dynasty, and you were in charge of the, the world building for Neon Dynasty. So I want to sort of, let's walk us through the making of Neon Dynasty so we can demonstrate sort of how this process works.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think vision for world building and game design started around the same time. So vision was just like, you know, big picture stuff. Um Uh, On the world building side, it meant going through like, okay, what is this world about? What's the broad strokes? Like, uh, we knew it was going to be like a futuristic Japanese inspired world. So then it was like iterating in that space and like um, throwing up, having these big brainstorming meetings and coming up with ideas. Like early on, we were even considering like, oh, what if there's something to do with uh, the seasons? It it has something to do with the seasons. Cycling around, or like how much, um, how much futuristic versus like um, more traditional stuff we
0: want. So it's like hammering out like the really big structural issues of the world. So I want to remind the audience: when we started, it was not Kamagawa. When we started, it was futuristic, Japanese-inspired world that may or may not be Kamagawa. We'll figure that out later.
1: Which, which we actually figured out um, kind of late, I think. But it worked out because game, cause I remember game design was like exploring all the different mechanics of like, okay, what does it feel like? And then on the world building side, we were trying to figure out like, okay, what exactly is does futuristic Japanese inspired world feel like? And then both of us kind of sum- simultaneously arrived at the answer is like, this could be Kamigawa, like from both a flavor and a mechanical standpoint.
0: Okay, so when you so for example the the impetus to start this set was looking at a, the idea of a futuristic inspired you know Japanese inspired world, what's the first thing you do like when you say, okay we have we have a germ of an idea, walk me through like the very first thing world building will do um one of
1: uh, I think one of the first things we did was just like get everyone in a room, but this was back when we were still all completely in the office and then we just filled whiteboards with uh words like all right futuristic what do people associate with that um everyone just tossed out ideas wrote them all down and then we did the same for like all right japanese inspired world what do people think of for that filled that whole board out and then from that we started like filtering it down to um which ones seemed the most workable and were like the most appealing
0: how early in the process are artists involved?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, the art director is involved from the beginning. Um, and then we, in house concept artists, we got them in pretty early too, just so you know they could start getting a feel early on. But I don't think like most artists weren't involved until we got to the concept push.
0: Well let's talk about the concept artists. I don't think the uh the the, play, the players know a lot, about what concept art? Let's talk a little bit about what what do concept artists do? How are they used in this process?
1: You, uh you mean like the the people we bring
0: in from outside? No, in, inside. Not not the not the world push yet. Just the internal. Talk a little bit about we have internal people that that do I- imagery and you know sketches and um that at the very early part of world building, there's a little part where we're trying to get a visual sense roughly of where we are.
1: Yeah, I mean, so they... Um, I mean, they'll eventually help out on the concept push, but before the concept push as well, they just help, like, figure out the some of the visual direction um, and maybe do a few preliminary sketches so we get ideas, so we can um, visualize things a bit more. Like, uh, for Neon Dynasty, uh, I think it was Han Chu, and he he was the one who came up with the idea of, like... Boseiju rising above the city of Tawashi, and then um, he gave us a preliminary sketch of what that looked like, and that's so we could see. And that's something that stuck all, from from like really early on after we decided it was Kamigawa. That's something that stuck all the way through uh, to the final to the final product.
0: Yeah, one of the things that just so the audience understands, one of the things that happens very early on is. Um, we'll have a couple sketches that just give a general sense so that everybody can sort of have a a sense of a a very loose tone. Um, I I know, for example, uh, in my articles talking about like Streets of New Capenna, you know, Mark Gottlieb was really inspired by this one image that they had made on the very early versions of what Capenna might be. Um, So there's a lot of imagery done, or not a lot, there's a little bit of imagery done very early that helps everybody sort of get a general agreement maybe on the the tone that we're looking for.
1: Yeah, I mean, for Neon Dynasty, uh, we had something similar. It was, we had some, um, there was like some uncertainty inside the building of like people about like, oh, I don't know if we should be doing a return to Kamigawa, especially if such a huge jump into the future. Um, But then we, dig get one of those tone plates and it was like a ninja rooftop battle over neon skyscrapers and that was a tone plate we showed just internally and then after people saw that they were all like oh yes this looks awesome
0: i'm all on board now yeah one of the things that was very interesting on neon dynasty is i think a lot of the key players um wanted this to be kamagawa I know I wanted to be Kamagawa. I know Jess was very interested in Kamagawa, Daniel was very interested in Kamagawa um and I think world building was in and, and your heart of hearts kind of wanted it to be Kamagawa, right
1: yeah it was it was really interesting everyone I, the general tone in world building um was like we would love to do a return to Kamagawa, but at the same time we are very scared of doing a return to Kamagawa and messing it up.
0: So, so, what? Was, so, go ahead. Oh,
1: no. Uh, go
0: ahead. Okay, so we're very early in design. Uh, we're doing early vision and exploratory. You're doing early world building. Um, so, we came up with this idea in, in conjunction, I mean, working with you, of uh, this idea of modernity versus tradition. So, let's talk a little bit from the world building side. How did you guys approach that idea?
1: So, this was something. Um, that we really uh were able to like tactically work on after once we decided it was kamigawa because like there's the whole like 1200 years jump so then we had this huge bridge of like the present and then the past so um it was really like these two disparate times that we somehow had to mesh together and we approach it two different ways like there's um like the more modern part of it drew really heavily from like futuristic sci-fi. Um, and those were like, that's where like the world was a bit more new and we could explore a bit more. So we had a uh, bigger brainstorming meetings, trying um, with the group just to generate a bunch of ideas. And then on the other side, we were trying to figure out what parts of original Kamigawa we wanted to bring forward. And those we had smaller groups of just like I think me and Zach Stella, the art director, and then I think Daniel Holt and Ethan Fleischer, because they're both like huge um, Magic uh, Magic History fans. Yeah, Magic History
0: fans. So
1: then it was just like pulling all our all our collective knowledge of original Kamigawa and the novels and the characters, and figuring out which elements uh, carried over well or people would want to see uh, Easter eggs or mentions of. And um, and then a lot of the work for world building was just like knitting the two together in a way that felt, uh, that made sense and felt like a natural continuation.
0: Another important factor uh, that played here is something we did very early on once we decided we were going to have the conflict is we sort of loaded colors, like the conflict at its core is kind of blue versus green. And so we made this, uh, we sort of said, okay, well, blue's more going to be on this side, and then red, and then black's in the middle, then white, then green. Um, so one of the things that happens in mechanics that has an influence on the world building side is we start picking out where certain things mechanically need to be so that the world building has to say oh okay well we know more cards are going to be illustrated in this color of this thing do you want to talk a little bit about how you guys adjust to that
1: yeah i mean so i don't i actually don't remember who which side did that come from i mean the like blue on one end and green on
0: the other That it came from mechanics first
1: okay yeah um I mean, so if we started out, we started out with blue on one side and green on the other, and that just felt really natural, because blue is usually the one that's uh, really future looking. And um, so that makes sense that they're really aligned with modernity and technology, whereas green is really in touch with the land. And um, that just, and I mean, they have a lot of artifact hate, and that puts them at a natural, uh, naturally at odds with blue. And then we did a lot of talking to figure out where the other three colors fell within that. Um, uh, And that was a mix of just like trying to match the general color philosophy and what had what the color had been historically in Kamigawa. Um, White, for example, is really aligned with uh, Lord Lord Konda, uh, Michiko Konda, and um, the Imperials, and so, well, so we brought that forward into the Imperials who'd be like, Oh, we have this, um, you know, where we've been the uh, government, I guess, the ruling body of this world. So that felt more traditional, like they they want to keep um, they want to keep their rule, they want to keep things a bit more how they have been. Um, and red has always been a bit more you know uh anarchist um so that fell on the other side of the divide and then black is just like i'll do whatever i need to take uh, or i'll i'll use whatever i can to achieve my means so um it sort of it made sense to us that they wouldn't try and like reject either um help from this from Kami or any new uh, technological innovations. They'll just, if the tool fits the job, they're going to
0: use it. Okay, so you and I, I mean, the at the exact same time, vision design is going along, world building is going along. We're, we're trading information back and forth and talking about, you know, okay, we like this idea. Here's the combat, you know, here's the theme we're talking about. Um, So let's talk about, once we finish that process let's talk about the world push and what 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 is what does a world push entail
1: so the concept the concept push is where we get a bunch of the, a bunch of external artists in um up until now Zach and i have been would have been working on uh figuring out what art needs we need it's basically as we're going to be at we ask the artists uh, concept pushes ask the artists to draw a bunch of Plates of like, um, costuming and environments and creatures and anything else, so that we can put it all together. We have this uh, world guide, and then whenever we're actually illustrating cards, we can ask the uh, card art artists to um, look at those, look at the style guide, so that we can keep a really consistent visual um, feel for the world.
0: So let me uh, just for the audience to explain a style guide. Basically, a style guide is what is everything we think the artist might need, so that includes locations, backgrounds, costuming, weapons, maybe objects that we expect them, you know, what are all the things visually that the the artist might need so that when you guys concept, you can say, hey, go look at page 43, the thing I'm talking about is there, so that you have a visual um, sort of guidebook for them, right? Yep.
1: And I mean for for Neon dynasty, we, yeah, it was really interesting because we were like make these make these new factions, but then some of them have like references to uh or were, or were like completely built off of um original Kamagawa. so then it was this it was this fun little puzzle of like, Take maybe maybe take the visuals of one specific card and then um, iterate on it and blow it out so that it can support an entire faction.
0: Can, can you give an example of where we did that?
1: Oh yeah, living historians. Um, so they were. Our idea was that they were founded by uh, Asusa and Reiki um, after the Kami War. So one of the visuals we have for them was Reiki's. Um, tattoos, he had those ink tattoos all over his body, we came up with the idea that it was like, that's something all the living historians do now they, um, ins- they inscribe the history of Kanagawa on their bodies, and then they can use magic to bring it to life uh, in dance, song, performance, arts. Um, and what we- so uh, what we ended up with was the living historians have these glowing tattoos, that look like you know these really bright neon lights that just flow off their body and turn into images and uh, people and rec- recreations of the past.
0: Yeah, that was uh, it, it. One of the things that I really enjoy about this set is how many. I'm not sure they're Easter eggs, but like how much of new ideas were formed out of taking old things.
1: Yeah, that was that was a lot of. Um, I was like, that was a lot of Daniel Holt because Daniel Holt is like uh, the biggest Kamigawa fan in the building. So he, so every time we were like, hmm, I have an idea for what this could be, he could jump in and be like, oh, actually, there's something in original Kamigawa that would fit perfectly, or we could tweak this a little and it could be a callback to this character or this event. Um, so that, so like Daniel Holt was really really uh, pivotal in helping us connect,
0: like, the past and the present together. Yeah, real quick, Daniel Holt, by the way, he did a podcast with me on this. So if you're interested in hearing more of da- from, da- from Daniel himself, uh, I did a whole podcast talking with Daniel about sort of his involvement uh, in it. Daniel normally uh, is in charge of doing, like, um, uh, frames and, and graphical components. But he loves, he loves, loves Kamigawa. So he was super involved in this whole block. Okay, so the world team comes together. How how long is a normal um, concept push?
1: Um, three weeks, and it's like five or six artists, I think.
0: So walk me through what happens in the three weeks. What 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 does a concept push entail exactly? What do they do?
1: So um, at the start of the concept push, we have this. We have a meeting. We have a kickoff meeting where we like run through an overview of the world. And basically just turn the artist loose. Um, First week is usually just like people throwing ideas out on the wall. Um, About every every few days, there's going to be a wall review. And it's the art director and the world building lead. And then other members of the world building team. They just look at, look through all the images, give any feedback or like, um, or thoughts, like, like, we'll say, like, if, oh, this image is really, is really hitting the vibe we're going for, or like, this one feels a bit off for the world, you know, maybe it's not hitting the right tone or things like that. Um, The art director takes all that feedback, uh, gives it back to the artist, and they'll continue iterating on it. So it's like, so it's constant refinement from week to week until we get to the last week. And then um, that's where we get, like, a lot of the finalized art that we, uh, use in the world guide.
0: So, um, that, so that's the artists and they're getting the visual look and the, the style guide has lots of visual references, but Mm -hmm. there's a whole other component, which you're very much responsible for, which is there are a lot of words. So let's talk a little bit about what, what, um, the artists are making the visual look. What are you and your team doing on, on the sort of the word side of building this document?
1: So after the, so once the concept push is done, um, the world building lead, which would be me for Neon Dynasty, um, writes everything, writes all the text for the world guide, which is like um, coming coming up with descriptions of writing down all the descriptions of locations and factions and any important world building details that uh, that will be helpful for like conceptors who are writing the art descriptions, or and then uh, that eventually goes to creative, it eventually helps with creative text also. Um, so, so filling it filling stuff with just like, you know, here's an overview of what this faction is. They show up in, they're more likely to show up in these colors, uh, use these words to refer to them, things like that.
0: And about how much text, like for Neon Dynasty, roughly, how many words did you have to produce to do that?
1: Oh, gosh. Um,
0: I did ballpark.
1: <laughs> ballpark, yeah. Like, I think 8,000?
0: Okay, now, in addition to the visuals and to the world-building you're doing, there's another important component, which is story. So how is story woven into this?
1: So for Neon Dynasty, we... We didn't really start thinking of the story until after the world was until once we were really like, were writing the world guide which i mean so earlier than that we had like a really vague idea of what we wanted to happen like we need certain story we want these certain elements that are going to be set up that are going to to set up for, like, you know, an overarching story plan or whatever. Um, But we didn't start, like, digging into the details of how that was going to happen until, you know, after the concept push, the world is a bit more finalized. We can actually, like, anchor those moments to specific uh, world-building elements. Um,
0: So can you give an example from the story? Uh, Tamiyo gets phyrexionized. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, we knew very early on that somebody was getting fractionized because it was just part of the bigger story, right? Right. Um, do, do you remember when we decided it was Tameo?
1: I think, hmm, no, I don't remember, but uh, like, I mean, it had to have been after we decided this was Kamigawa. Um, and then probably sometime around that, it was just like, oh, if we're fractionizing someone here, who makes sense? And
0: a few, I think a few names were floated. Tameos. Um, what what other what, 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 what names were floated? Who else did we think about? Oh.
1: Well, I think we talked about Frexenizing the Wanderer.
0: Yeah, who was the main character <laughs> of the story.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, Tameo really had so much like we knew so much more about Tamio and we really wanted it to be this big emotional impact. And the wanderer is still really mysterious and everything. So it's like, Oh yeah, cool. They could get Phyrexianized, but you know, Tamio has a family. Uh, People like Tamio. Um, It's just that much more of a gut punch when it happens to a character who you, that you know and
0: love. Right. I mean, this was a really important point because it, it was sort of putting a stake in the ground of, uh-oh, the Frexians. this is, this might really be a problem. Um, and right, choosing the right character. I think one of the other problems with the Wanderer was the Wanderer had a big reveal in this story already. Like, we already had a giant reveal for the Wanderer. Oh, that's a fine question. When do we know it was the Wanderer that was the Emperor? How did that come about?
1: That was... There was actually a lot of discussion for that because we wanted a third Planeswalker... I we were I think we were still discussing how many planeswalkers should show up in this set and oops
0: um right the the set ended up having four planeswalkers although normally we have three so we actually added one um, yeah and so I know Tezzeret was playing a role in the story so Tezzeret was here uh the Wanderer played a big role in the story Wanderer was here mm-hmm. T- Tammy obviously ended up playing a pretty big role and. We really wanted to one of the things we'd wanted to do was introduce a new character that was a ninja, a ninja planeswalker. Um do wanna talk a little bit about how that came to be?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean that one was I mean, that was really like design wanted a ninja planeswalker, so then we just took that idea and ran with it and I mean we started from the color pair the color pairs that um the color pair that a ninja would typically be in you know blue black, and then we talked a lot. We iterated a lot on you know what what's a sort of blue black personality, um, what sort of motivations would he have? What and then once the world was a bit was really fleshed out, all the factions in the world. It's like what factions has he been involved in and how, and um, try, and just building up his character and his backstory from there. And actually, I think that ties into. The Wanderer, too, because we were also kind of looking for like this another planeswalker in the set at that point, and then the Wanderer was this great um, counter um, contrast to the the planeswalker that ended up in Kaito.
0: And and you, one of the cool things you guys did is you figured out a way to weave their backstories together, right?
1: Yep, that was Grace Fong a lot, actually. Um, like for, for uh, Grace took over a lot. Grace actually did most of the, uh, took care of most of the story for Neon Dynasty. So she was the one who really like wove their backstories together and gave them that cute uh, childhood friendship and all that.
0: Right, and another thing that I want to stress here that we often talk about the creative team as like a singular entity, but as we're sort of exploring today, there's people responsible for the the look and the art. And there's people responsible for the cosmology in the background. And there's people responsible for the story. And those aren't – while the people work together, those are different people doing different elements of of that job. Yeah,
1: yeah. there's a lot of um, – I mean, obviously, we talk to each other a lot. We communicate each other a lot. But, yeah, it's a lot of writing, a lot of different threads to um, have to – a lot of different threads I have to handle, so like s- story being one person and world building being another person um, <laughs> it really helps out with the workload.
0: Um, yeah. so were you responsible for doing card concepting? Was that you or is that somebody else?
1: Um, Grace handled that. I was out at that point.
0: Oh, okay, okay, so that was, um, so card concepting real quickly for the audience. card concepting is. You know the designers design cards, but then we have to figure out like, well, what what does it represent? What is it? What's the art going to look like? What what's the name? Like, what what does the card represent flavorfully? Um, and we work very closely with the creative team. Um, we being set design. This past one, I'm involved, but um, set design will work with them to go okay and sit down and sort of walk through what happens. And that so that was that wasn't you. That was um, Grace. But that is something that the creative team does in this whole process. So we are. I, I'm almost to my desk here. So, any final thoughts on Neon Dynasty? Looking back, as far as all the stuff you did on it. Um. Like what are already, you? Pr- what, what are you proudest of from Neon Dynasty?
1: Oh gosh, I think. I think I'm proudest of the living historians actually, because I think that faction is like the greatest the best example of how we tied in original Kamigawa and um, brought forward elements of original Kamigawa into Neon Dynasty.
0: That was a nice crossing between the streams, you're saying? Yep. Yeah, one of the things that I really appreciate um, is how you guys brought together a world that was so robust and so cool and so new, but yet it had so many, like it both felt like Kamigawa, but yet felt like something new in a really fun and interesting way.
1: I mean, I think it actually benefited from having the whole 1200 year gap because then we could
0: populate it with little bits of
1: history and everything and make it feel like there's been this huge passage of time with,
0: um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. Magic doesn't really get to do passage of time all that often. I mean, I guess we had Konjotark here where we messed around with time and stuff, but normally we don't get to see a lot of passage of time. So it was very interesting to go back to a world that was chronologically so long ago.
1: Yeah, I think it was It was a really unique opportunity, and I think, like, world-building and set-design I mean, we both lean really hard into it, like you, with the sagas and everything, telling the hist- telling all of... Uh, Kamigawa's history over those twelve hundred years.
0: So anyway, I just want to say before we wrap up for today, I, I want to thank you. I I'm I'm really excited with how Neon uh, Neon Dynasty turned out. Um, it, it was a set that I, um, like I I went into the set. My my, my uh, I've talked to this on, on this podcast before. Of like I I really really wanted to figure out how to make Kamigawa work just because I knew there was an audience that just really wanted it. Um, and I'm so happy with the, the work that your team did, just how, how awesome it looked, how awesome it felt, just the story, the, the, the embodiment of the world. You guys just, it was a home run on your end. So I just want to say I, I really admired all the stuff you guys did.
1: It was definitely a work of love for our team.
0: <laughs> so anyway, I want to thank you for being with us, Emily. Um, but guys, I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means. I and mean, this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you, Emily. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And for all you, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.